0: Look forward to retirement and avoid the pitfalls. Keep listening for ways to maximize your retirement income. More Than Money with the Popowich Carmeli Advisory Group, CIBC Woodgundy, on News Talk 770. Lifestyle matters. It's more than money. Thanks for joining us for another edition of More Than Money on 770 CHQR. Um, You know, we've got a really interesting show. uh, Given the uncertainty in the world right now, we've got to talk a little bit about what does the future hold for fixed income? And should bonds still be a part of your portfolio? Do they still play a role for income investors? Also, how's inflation going to affect you in your retirement and your ability to do all of the things that you love doing? But right now, we're going to discuss what an executor's role is when it comes to beneficiaries.
1: We talk about estate planning a lot, Rob, about how people should get things prepared. But what if you've got the duty of the executor? Mm -hmm. What if your responsibility is to take care of the estate of somebody else? Um, What do you do and how do you find everything and how do you find beneficiaries and all these different issues come up? It's a stressful time if you uh, become an executor. We've had many clients come to us in a panic sometimes going, what do we do? Well, let's find out what do we do, right? And there's no one better than our reoccurring guest. It's been a while since we got to talk to you, Catherine Zhang, partner at Walsh LLP. Catherine, thank you for joining us today.
2: Hi, thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure, Faisal.
1: So we've got um, the duties of an executor. I think people need to understand this responsibility. Um, It's amazing. We were talking about this, I think, uh, on Friday, Rob, where... um, people are surprised that they become an executor. Like, surprise, here you go. Congratulations, you now got this great task of handling someone's estate. <laughs> um, what's, what's the, what's, when it comes to beneficiaries, um, what is an ex- executor's duty? Now, let's go through that because there's people that, you know, I can, I'm going to paint the picture for you. Let's say you find out you're an executor, so you get a copy of the will You look at the will, you see there's a bunch of uh, beneficiaries on there and you don't even know who the heck some of these people are.
2: Well, um, so in Alberta, we've got great some great legislation. Um, the first piece of legislation a uh, executor maybe wants to consider is the Estates Administration Act. And in that act, it sets out the very first set of rules says, as a personal representative, you've got some core responsibilities. And so the core responsibilities are to act um, diligently with good faith. Um, and if there's a will, um, to the best of your abilities, to... Um, carry out the wishes in the uh, the deceased's will. So um, already in Alberta, there is a, 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 a piece of law that says you've got to do the best job that you can do um, that a reasonable person would be able to do.
3: So
4: I we were talking about this as well, Faisal, and I found this fascinating. As you said, duty of care and duty to find someone. So what if beneficiaries are extremely difficult to find what how far does the executor need to go to find people that are actually listed
2: Shh. Um, that's a great question. And so, um, one of the things you've, you have to consider, and, um, this is, um, for somebody drafting a will is, is your executor going to know generally who these people are? And so generally we'll see family members, close friends. And so that should be your first point in contact. If, um, you're an executor and you, you might not know exactly all the people who are listed, you'd want to chat with the family members and see, um, you know, this person has referred to my great friend, Mary. Does anybody know who Mary is? Um, now, there are cases where um, nobody knows who Mary is. Mary might be a long-lost childhood friend. Um, and so at that point, and this has happened in instances, um, we have had to help executors um, try and track people down. Um, and so when you consider the the core duties of what an executor has, um, they've got to do the basic homework to... Um, indicate that, yeah, they've um, talked to family members, they've perhaps talked to close friends. um, And then the next step down would be uh, to consider hiring um, an investigative company or a personal investigator to try and find these people. Uh, Because what happens is if you've got a will, and it says, well, I want X to go to my good friend, Mary, and you can't find Mary, um, at some point in time, you're going to have to apply to the court's for some advice and direction on what to do with that piece of property. Um, There is a piece of legislation in Alberta that directs how that is to happen. And so the Public Trustees Act talks about missing people. Um, But um, the first step is, yeah, take all uh, reasonable steps that you could take. um, And that in the case that you've got to apply to a court, um, we would recommend you hire a private investigator and if they can't find everything, that's Mm -hmm. fine. Um, At that point, you just make the pitch to the court about, well, these are the steps I've taken. Now court, we either have a proposal or we're gonna seek some direction on what to do with this piece of property or what to do with this instruction.
1: That's fascinating that if you don't know who a beneficiary is, can't locate that person, um, I would have thought, yeah, you do a Google search, mm-hmm. check out Facebook. They might be on there. There's, I heard, there's a few people on Facebook nowadays, right? <laughs> uh, maybe do a TikTok dance. Hopefully, that gets. Where's Mary? <laughs> <laughs> only yours, <laughs> only mine. Yeah, but, but to go right to a private investigator, I think is is a, a great piece. This, this is the, the, the duties of an executor. Catherine are are not just administering. the the estate to the beneficiaries, but they have that duty of care that you were talking about earlier. Um, When it comes to beneficiaries and communication with them, how much communication do you have to have? So let's go down with the story you were talking about. You locate Mary. How much do you have to tell Mary about the estate? Do you have to tell, at the very beginning I'm speaking of, Mary, congratulations, you're a beneficiary and you're entitled to X dollars? Or is it, Mary, you're a beneficiary, we will be in contact with you soon?
2: Um, that's a great question. I think it also depends on the context of the gift. Um, and so if Mary, um, has, has been gifted X amount of dollars or a piece of personal property like a painting, um, I think it's safe to disclose that that and say, um, you know, so-and-so left a gift to you in the will, this is the gift. Um, before we do a distribution, there are some steps that the executor is going to have to take. And so you're not going to receive this gift right away. We will be in touch with you, um, you know, in due course. One of the things we're going to have to look at is getting a grant of probate. Um, but uh, here, here is what you're entitled to in the will. And one of the reasons why I would feel comfortable with disclosing that is because when you uh, make an application for the grant of probate, you're going to be including a copy of that will into the public record. And so um, that isn't information that she's not going to get anyways. um, If you're speaking with a beneficiary who is entitled to the residue of the estate, so that's where you're looking at the will and it says, okay, after I've distributed my painting and my car and X number of dollars to my favorite grandson, I want the rest of my estate to be divided three ways, for example. Um, At that point in time, it's really hard to pinpoint exactly um, what a beneficiary is going to get. Uh, But we do... um, as part of the disclosure. Um, piece and as part of the the piece of letting beneficiaries know what they're entitled to, we do say you have been appointed or you've been listed as a beneficiary in the will. Um, Here's what the will says. So you're entitled to, for example, a one-third residue. Um, We have to figure out and understand what that means um, and we'll be in touch with you in due course. And so um, there is an expectation that beneficiaries may want to check up every so often and that that's okay they can do that Uh, but the executors also have what's called um, traditionally an executor's year so um, if they need some time to figure out what all of those assets may be what the creditor situation might be they've got some time before um, they really you know need to um, get down to the nitty-gritty details when disclosing information to the beneficiaries
1: Catherine, um, one thing I tell everybody when it comes to handling their estate is to get the proper legal advice. If someone wants to reach out to you and get some information, advice, or start their estate plan with you, How do they get in touch with you?
2: Uh, There's two ways. You can call me directly. My number is 403-267-8436. Or you can email me, kzhang at walshlaw.ca. And always, you can check out our website at walshlaw.ca.
1: Of course, you can always come to morethemoneyradio.com and reach the Contact Us button and get a hold of us. We'll definitely connect you uh, with Catherine. Catherine, thank you so much for joining us today.
2: It's been a pleasure speaking with you both. Have a great day.
1: Uh, Faisal, lots of questions about
0: what's happening in fixed income and bonds, and that's the conservative piece of people's portfolios. But we have seen inflation expectations uh, to begin the year, and then this conflict between um, the war between Russia and Ukraine sort of exacerbate those problems. The bond markets have been pretty volatile for bond markets, and what can we expect
1: going forward? There's, there's two groups out there. One that are really concerned about what's happened to the bond market, and there's a bunch of investors out there, more individual investors are saying, just avoid bonds as a whole. Yeah. There's no need to be there. Let's go somewhere else. Cash, stocks, real estate, bonds are useless. Right. Let's address both of those concerns because the bond market, like you've said many times, the stock market can take down a company. The bond market, and we're not joking here, yeah. can take down a country. Right. We're seeing it happen day by day through this crisis. So let's get to some an, an expert who right. knows more about this than you and I do, who yep. can actually get into more of the details of the impacts of Ukraine, the bond market and inflation. Let's bring him on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Brian DeCosta is joining us, founding partner and president
0: of Algonquin Capital. Uh, first of all, Brian, welcome to the show.
5: Thanks, guys. Thanks, everyone.
0: Okay. Let's talk a little bit about really interested to, to get your um, impression around the uncertainties that have been created by this Russian uh, war in the Ukraine and its impacts on inflation and your expectation around interest rates. And we'll get to the Bank of Canada in a minute. But just give us that sort of that framework of what you're thinking about right now.
5: So I think that, the, you know, there's going to be a short run and a long run impact from the Russian invasion in Ukraine. So the immediate impact is what we're seeing today, which is a high degree of uncertainty, largely driven by the sanctions so we're gonna have intended and unintended consequences of sanctions, and one of the consequences we can see is the price of oil, which is driving up inflation, you know, near-term inflation, and also actually gonna be the price of food, given how much uh, agriculture product comes out of the Ukraine and Russia. So in the near term, we, we're already feeling the pain at the pump, and we're feeling it at the grocery store, and there's gonna be no relief. But I think the bigger picture is actually more important Um, Which is, um, before, uh, especially once the wall fell, we had a peace dividend which allowed companies to put supply chains around the world, searching out the lowest cost. Now what I think is re-emerged as a factor is national security. And so that's going to affect industries like energy, transportation. Um, Think of technology, telecommunications. Pharmaceuticals, food. And what that means is you're no longer, lowest cost is no longer going to be the winner. So I expect to see onshoring of production back into the Western world where, you know, costs will be higher. The other implication from this is if you're a company that relies solely on production from a country that has an authoritarian regime you're going to rethink that because you're going to see how fast you could be out of business if that regime decides to um, uh, launch an invasion of sorts. And and think of uh, Taiwan and China. And so again, you're going to see some of those companies diversify that supply chain. So what does that mean? We, you know, before the pandemic, inflation was 1.8% in in Canada for about 10 years. And I think what worries me now is i'm putting a non-trivial chance so for me that's around 30 percent that inflation is actually going to run much hotter and you know i wouldn't be surprised to see inflation of three percent and in that world that means interest rates are going to be three four five percent so with those
1: in line the bank of canada yep. is at a headline at a spot right now with all the conflict um, the the numbers on price of food, the inflation, or the cost increase on oil and gasoline, <clears throat> many are saying this is temporary, and and Brian, when, when we start to see that this being temporary, why in the heck would the Bank of Canada need to raise interest rates to cool it down if this is a temporary issue? Is there other parts of the economy that needs ri- rising interest rates? And then how do you actually price that out to see if there's opportunity to make money in the bond market with, with rising interest rates?
5: Right. So so let me first start with the the Bank of Canada. So the bank has one mandate and that's to foster the conditions to keep inflation in a band of 1 to 3%. And the reason for that is because they believe that if you, if you if they can provide an environment of low and stable inflation, it's easy for businesses and people to make decisions on borrowing, right? Because they expect, you know, they have an expectation of interest rates and that allows good economic growth, which provides the most be- the bene- most benefit for the most people. Even before the invasion of Russia, or the Russian invasion of Ukraine, we had inflation of 5.1%. Today, we saw the un- or on Friday we saw the unemployment uh, numbers in Canada, and we see an unemployment rate of 5.5%. So basically, even without the invasion. You had the, it, 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 the emergency rate setting of, you know, now it's 0.5% is just simply not warranted. In fact, if, if, you, can make the, if you can make the argument before the pandemic, the, the rate was 1.75%, that's probably a more reasonable level to be at. And so the bank had already started raising rates, and I think they will continue to do so Um, They know it's not going to affect the price of gasoline or food, but at the same time, what they're trying to do is to say, well, we have to make sure that we redirect some consumption dollars away from goods and services, which would be the real concern in terms of price pressures spreading and inflation becoming embedded in the psychology of Canadians. Um, So, on that basis, I expect them to keep raising rates into the summer. You know, they'll, I think once the rate is one or one and a quarter percent, they're probably going to pause because by then the intended and unintended consequences of the sanctions will be much more evident, um, and also they have to assess the impact on higher interest rates on on highly indebted Canadians. So it's they are going to be prudent, but at the, you know, the, 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 this is why that they're raising rates is because at the end of the day. Their concern is largely driven by that um, inflation and, and the risk that it becomes embedded in psychology.
1: How do you make money in these types yep. of markets when <laughs> interest rates are rising? Because the the conversation of some investors, primarily retail, is stay the heck away from bonds. You're not going to make money in a rising interest rate market. Go somewhere else.
5: Right. And you know, and I think further to that, it's been pretty disappointing uh, returns in fixed income over the last decade as well. Um, you know, I think. Between either GICs or bond markets, you're you know investors are earning like two percent, which once you factor in taxes and inflation, is you you can kind of make the arguments dead money, and I think that's why a lot of investors have just said, you know, don't bother with bonds. Um, so again, I'm going to give you the good new, the, sh- the the short run and the, the long run story. The next 12 months is a headwind for bond markets, in particular for long maturity bonds, which are very sensitive to rising interest rates. However, I think there's a bit of good news here. Um, interest rates are going higher. So if you're invested mm-hmm. in shorter maturity bonds, you're going to have those bonds maturing back at par. You're gonna have coupons received. So you're gonna be reinvesting at higher rates. And so what I think, the and the, the, in, 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 in I think in, in in my, I think we're going to be in a, world of three percent type of interest rates maybe four percent then fixed income starts to become a much more attractive asset class and that's for that reason in our funds we're keeping our maturity profile quite low because we know that you know there's a headwind that we're facing today but when i look out 12 months from now i see a much better horizon for fixed income um, and where it can fit into people's portfolios much more comfortably
0: what do you tell a What do you tell an investor today, Brian, that says bonds have no place, or do do bonds still have a place in the portfolio today,
5: given what you've just said? I think they do. Um, you know, bonds at the end of the day are your high quality assets. Um, You know, if if for example, if you look at the corporate bond market in Canada, and I and I could give you a number of examples, but let's pick Suncor because I think many of the client base out there would understand that name. So you can, uh, you know, we 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 know that the uh, Western Canada or Canada as a whole stands to benefit from sanctions on Russian oil in that there's going to be a demand for Canadian oil is going to remain robust, and we and, and we can see that in oil prices. Um, So a company like Suncor, which has been focused on reducing debt, um, you've seen a bounce in the stock price. But you could invest in Suncor bonds now where the yield is almost 4%. There's almost no, you know, there's a very low risk that Suncor is not going to pay that interest payment, not going to pay you back. In fact, they're paying down debt. So those bonds are becoming much more valuable. And, you know, if you're at all worried around the, the the risk of some really big stock market correction, at least your capital in a bond is not as, as exposed as much. So I think bonds still play a role. They're kind of the ballast in a portfolio. They'll provide a little bit of income um, because, you know, as we know, It's fun to be 100% in equities when they're going up, but I'm sure if you were 100% in equities in March of 2020, you probably had a number of sleepless nights. And and that's what bonds do. They allow you to have a better night's sleep at the end of the day.
0: Brian, thank you very much for your input today on fixed income, Bank of Canada profile, what we can expect over the next 12 to call it 24 months. We appreciate your
1: time today.
5: Great. No, Thank you, everyone, and uh, everyone have a great day.
1: Um, Rob, we talked about uh, before the break of inflation being a concern to people's pocketbooks. I want to share with you a recent survey that was done by Ledger, talking about how more and more Canadians, about about eighty percent of Canadians that were uh, were surveyed, are going to look for different ways to shop when it comes to groceries. Mm. They're going to uh, try to have their food last longer for them. They're going to reduce the amount that they're uh, spending at restaurants. They even talked about buying electric vehicles in this survey yeah, because, uh, because the price of gasoline is too high. And so yeah. let's talk about the real impact. Is this going to be a long-term issue or a short-term issue? And there's no one better than we can have on this one. Ben Benjamin Tall, Deputy Chief Economist of CIBC World Markets. Benny, welcome to the show. A pleasure. Thank you. So let's kick it off right there with inflation and and the the survey that we just uh, received from Ledger about people's behavior changes. Is this going to be a long-term impact? Do you see this actually going for years in the future where people are going to be impacted in their pocketbook?
3: The short answer is no. I don't think so because, quite frankly, the Bank of Canada and the Fed will not let it happen. The issue is not inflation at the end of the day. The issue is what will be the cost of bringing inflation back to where it belongs, which is 2%. You know, over the, f- the past uh, 40 years, the Bank of Canada, the Fed, the ECB in Europe, they build a reputation as inflation fighters. They are not going to toss it away. So it's not about inflation. It's not back to the 70s. It's basically what it will take to bring it back in terms of higher interest rates. I think that's where the focus should be. Now, uh, we know that there are many sources to this inflation uh, f- uh, you know, trajectory that we are seeing now. One of them is the supply chain story. I believe about 60 70 percent of inflation that we are seeing now is supply chain and as we discussed in previous conversation uh, this supply chain is really a demand shock because people are shopping for goods not services due to the pandemic you remove covid out of the equation and then this supply shock will disappear this is something that we have to understand it's all about covid and covid eventually eventually will slow down let's hope and let's pray that's the case you remove covid from the equation about 70 percent of the inflation that you're seeing now will disappear then you have the additional aspect which is the war and all kinds of other things that are more sustainable another factor that will stay with us is rent rent will remain elevated because house prices went up to the sky rent didn't so they will catch up so that's something that will happen and of course wages because the labor market is very very tight that will stay with us and that's why you have to raise interest rates so the key issue is how quickly you will have to raise interest rates in order to bring inflation back to where it belongs.
1: So let's answer that question. How quickly will interest rates rise? And whenever we hear that, the issue of recession comes up. What are your thoughts on those two pieces? How quickly will the Bank of Canada and the the Fed Reserve raise interest rates? And will that push us into a recession?
3: Yes, I think that um, when I see the Bank of Canada and I see them very often, unfortunately, I, I can tell you that I tell them, go slowly go slowly when i say slowly i mean four times a year not seven eight times a year and now the market is pricing in the fed moving seven times the bank of canada six seven times every economic recession every housing market crash was helped if not caused by monetary policy error and the probability of this error is getting larger and larger quite frankly because uh, they're all human over there in the bank of canada and the fed and when inflation is there you have to fight it now The Bank of Canada can raise interest rates to the sky. That will not impact energy prices due to COVID and due to Putin and due to the war in Europe. Nothing to do with that. The supply chain issue that we are facing has nothing to do with interest rates. So the Bank of Canada, the Fed are very limited in fighting 70% of this inflation. You have to allow COVID to go down in order to ease those inflationary pressure. Yes, you can impact wages, you can impact rent by raising interest rates, and that's the right thing to do. But if you overshoot and raise too quickly, you raise the probability of a recession in 2023. And I've been talking about it for a year now, that this probability is getting higher and higher and higher. And that's something that worries me.
4: Hmm. Let's kind of switch gears and turn to the opportunities and and what's happening here locally, because what we're seeing is on the supply side on a housing, right? We're seeing a shortage (laughs) or lack of supply or lack of supply, (laughs) right? Um, and a migration potentially to Alberta. So how is it affecting us here on an inflationary basis?
3: Yes, I think that uh, Alberta will lead Canada in terms of economic growth in 2022 Mm. and 2023. Mm. Unfortunately, from a relatively low base, but we'll take it. So Alberta will lead the country in terms of economic growth. Makes sense because of oil prices. Uh, You know, the wars is over. The province is waking up some adjustment to the economic engine of um, the province so immigration coming back and that's something that is positive so I'm very positive on Alberta I think that the worst is over when it comes to economic activity clearly higher oil prices will remain with us maybe they will not be as high maybe they will go down but clearly Russian oil is not going to be with us anytime soon that will put this premium on oil prices that will benefit the West and especially Alberta. So I'm very bullish on Alberta. Real estate is no exception here because uh, clearly, relatively speaking compared to other provinces, Alberta is still relatively cheap. So Mm -hmm. attracting some new immigrants Mm -hmm. and demand is there, supply definitely not there and that's something that will lead to better return in the real estate market. Benjamin, we had,
1: we had a previous guest on this show talk about the opportunity for Canada in, in regards to this war. And one part they mentioned was potash and fertilizer. There's a huge opportunity for Canada in this uh, if there is a, clo- a closure of that market because of the Russia-Ukraine. W- what are your thoughts of opportunities economically that are lost because of the war but could be recaptured or captured itself? from Canada.
3: Absolutely. Canada is competing with Russia on many of those markets and we are in a position to actually compensate for some of the shortage of goods that will be coming from that, especially in agriculture, of course, potash you mentioned, um, you know, wheat, uh, corn, we definitely can increase our capacity there. We need labor, we need some regulations, but we can do that. And that's something that will benefit Canada. So I definitely think that uh, we can compete. Also when it comes to some uh, metals like nickel and zinc, we definitely can compete in this environment as well. So we have to remember one thing. We are back in a cold war. And in a cold war, you have to choose a side. And I think that uh, Canada, we know where we are. If you're China, that's the big thing that we have to look at. But one thing is for sure, we are seeing a process of deglobalization that was accelerated during Trump, during COVID, and now becoming much more significant. That will mean that our reliance on the U.S. will rise, not fall. And therefore, if I'm Justin Trudeau, I'm basically sending all my lobby groups to Washington to make sure that when Biden talks about buy America, he's talking really about buy North America, because our reliance on the U.S. Will, ro- will rise. That's one derivative of this crisis. But the other is that the realization that Canada can compensate for the lack of um, uh, production, especially in agriculture and energy, and basically allow it to actually benefit the West. And that's exactly what will happen.
1: Benny, we've got about 30 seconds left before we have to go. Um, whenever we speak to economists like yourself, we always take the position of what the central bank should do or a monetary policy. Rarely do we talk to you about what a fiscal policy policy should happen so from the fiscal policy side what should the the banka uh, the the sorry the the government of canada do to help the economy continue to grow without the risk of inflation on their
3: end yes so i think that uh, clearly the government cannot spend the way it did during covid and there is a risk that if covid comes back if we have another wave you will have to support some uh, small businesses and individuals so there is a risk that you will need to spend a little bit more there i think that when it comes to energy prices one thing that you can look at quite frankly to help uh, low-income canadians is with accession not a permanent cut in accession but a temporary cut in taxation in order to allow people to function in this environment because it's a supply shock that is in addition to other inflationary forces. If you have just an oil supply shock, that's fine. But it's in addition to food prices, any other prices, and that's why it's becoming a significant force. And yes, we know that a lot of people were accumulating um, a a lot of money during um, COVID, but those are well-to-do people, not low income, and therefore they need the help.
1: Yeah, there you go. They need help. And that's part of the growth strategy for this country as well. And so, you know, when you're looking at this type of stuff, Benny, it's it's very challenging. I want to thank you for your time uh, and coming back on this show and giving us your insights. Thank you so much for joining us.
3: A pleasure. Good luck. Thank you.
1: There's one thing about this demographic that's becoming more and more popular, and that is play money. Mm -hmm. Play money. And what I mean by that, let me define it for our listeners and viewers today, is People putting some money aside so they can play in the stock market. Right. That so they can trade or invest on the things that they want to do that may not be part of their serious money or their serious investments that are designed for their retirement. So the question that always comes up is, how much money can I put aside to play with? And once I do that, what the heck do I do with that money? How do mm-hmm. what, What's my strategy Um is it literally casino money? Do I go and just pick a couple of names because I I heard it at the Tim Hortons? You know my Tim Hortons yeah. theory for those of you who don't know, Tim Hortons is one of the best places to find out rumors of stocks to buy. People will sit down at a table, they'll have their coffee, their donut, they'll start talking about stocks, and you will hear them at the table next door next to you, and that's your next pick, the pick of your stock. A day. That's right. And how many phone calls do we get for that, those one. ones? the Tim Hortons <laughs> picks? is what I call them. So there's you know how much money do you put aside? What do you what do you invest into? What do you trade in? Or what do you you know? have fun with. Um, These are questions and concerns. And you had a recent story Mm -hmm. of a client that you said, you know what, take this account and go do it yourself.
4: Yeah, it was an interesting one. Um, Managing a whole portfolio for the couple. Um, And the individual, she, she had some stocks that were dear to her and that she liked to own and trade in a specific sector on the U.S. side. A little bit more volatile. Didn't fit in with our current program or yep. platform, um, and so I said, listen, if, you, if you're still in, engaged in these and still want to hold them right, and still want to do some analysis or, or, you know, look into them and do a little bit of trading, and if it's not on ours, why don't we take that off and, and go back to a do-it-yourself platform, which there's many of, right, cheap trading platforms that yep. banks are outside of that, and to be able to do that. But the question came are you okay with still taking on some of that risk in what you're doing?
1: This is about 10% of the family's savings that they, uh, they've earmarked for retirement. That's correct. Right? So that's the first question. Is 10% enough? Is it the right amount, the right percentage? Mm-hmm. What do you think?
4: Well, I think it comes with more conversation on what that money is actually going to be used for. Right? And in this situation, it came down to, there was a lot more pension money to provide for their lifestyle. Gotcha. Right. So this money was looking towards more of the other buckets that we talk about. Yeah. Right. On legacy and health. Yep. So then that was the conversation on, okay, is there risk to your health or legacy bucket? Yep. Because current expenses were covered. Yep. They weren't worried about that. Yeah. So in the conversation, yes, they felt it was okay. Yep. And they didn't need it specifically for legacy.
1: Yeah, I think it's interesting. I think what you're, what you're basically saying is pretty much what the solution to that, the, the number one question for people who want to have a little bit of play money is how much. Mm-hmm. And this is a process that you need to kind of calculate for. There are four major areas, we call them buckets, mm-hmm. that people need to focus on as they go through retirement. Number one, income or cash flow how are you gonna have your day-to-day life expenses covered? In, in this example with, with uh, the client, uh, it was primarily pension money from the company they were working at, CPP, old age security, so a lot of their cash flow needs was already protected.
4: Guaranteed. So met. they've got that yeah.
1: guaranteed income. Very little do they need on top of that for travel or anything additional. Then we look at the the growth bucket to replenish that income bucket, long as you've got that covered, you're good there. The third bucket is healthcare. Is actually doing a health plan to see, you know, what are some of the costs that if you decide to age at home or in a long-term care facility, what are the costs? And do you have the right amount of capital to pay for that mm-hmm. from all of your wealth? And then comes the legacy. Now, legacy is passing on assets or a gift to the next generation. And how much do you want to give there? Is it whatever's left over or is there a certain amount or are you trying to, you know, um, complete uh, a vision towards a cause that you want to help? Whatever that that vision and your legacy is.
4: Yeah, that's a good point too because I've seen it before too where play money may become a charitable giving. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And if there is a gain... Right,
1: and then the chair gets the, the benefit. There you go. So that's that's an interesting piece as well. So you you're trying to look at all these four buckets. Once you've got those four buckets covered, with the one caveat that you're reviewing tax on a regular basis, so you're not paying too much. Right. Whatever's left over, that's called never money. You're never gonna need it. Introduction of play at that level, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Whatever percentage of your savings that is. You can go up to that percentage. So in this example, if ten percent of their entire savings is sufficient, and it'll meet uh, the, all the other goals will be reached based on what they're saving on ninety percent of their savings, ten percent of their savings can be used to play. Done, no problem. In fact, I encourage it. I encourage investors uh, who are who are investing through a money manager to also have a side account. If they have never money, they'll never need it. And if they want to. And if they want to, yeah, they right. got to be engaged and wanting to do You that. want to have fun. It,
4: you don't need yeah. to be up at three a.m.,
1: right? Doing the research. That's Doing a good research. question. How do you find like you know when people are buying their own investments, their own do-it-yourself accounts? Where do they get their research mm-hmm. from? How well, do they buy mention one, stuff? right? Tim Hortons is the first place. Tim Hortons, and, and again, but, it's not Tim. Hortons. It's coffee shop talk. Like <laughs> so I'm not going to. Poor Tim Hortons is going to give me an email saying, "How dare you?" <laughs> um, but, but it's to, it's coffee talk shop, right? right. Like it's let's. It's, let's just have a conversation with a bunch of people and then you either overhear it stuff like that but there's right?
4: there's 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 meme stocks right there's the flavor of the day social online, media
1: online right? yeah
4: yeah there is uh it, well what what are we looking for too it's not just the stocks so i'll throw that question back to you if it's okay. not just stocks what is play money when you say that are we talking about just stock investing
1: no I say you can play with anything. Mm. So it's, it's let's go to the casino and play with it. Literally, go to the casino. You know I like playing craps. Yep. That's my never money. I'll never need it. So if I lose it all, whatever. If I make it all, I double my money, whatever. Let's just play money. There's cryptocurrency. Mm-hmm. There is artwork. Yep. There's coin collections. There's stocks. There's a whole bunch of... Things you can invest, quote unquote. Real estate. Real estate. Yeah. Businesses. All that can be with your never money. You'll never need it. You might as well do something that you're going to be engaged in doing. Mm. And I think that's the key thing. You're going to be engaged in. A lot of the people that talk to us about this are investing in the stock market. and And some of them, quite a few of them that we talk to, our clients and and people that listen to the show, are buying newsletters or just getting the free sample of a newsletter. You got it. They're not even paying for the subscription. (laughs) You got it and they're they're buying and selling stocks. What are you, what are your thoughts about about newsletters and using that to buy and sell stocks for your play money? I it, sometimes it takes the play out of it in my mind,
4: yeah. right? If you're if you're going on someone else's idea, then you're subscribing to specifically their thesis of investment, yep, which may be um, a niche of investment, right? Yep. That that might be fine, but whoever is doing that newsletter is also owning that idea. Yeah. Right? So it takes that piece out of out of investing. And where are the, all those ideas come from and what kind of risk can those people that are developing those newsletters take is probably a heck of a lot different without knowing who is actually investing through their newsletter.
1: What I find interesting about newsletters or online chat portals or anywhere where you subscribe either literally with money or by giving your information. Um, The only way they actually make money is if you're paying for it or you give them your name so they can solicit your name to other companies.
3: Mm -hmm.
1: They do not get paid for being right or wrong. You bet. Right. (laughs) They do not get paid if you believe them or not. They only get paid if you pay for the information and that's it. Which is a very interesting model. So, what's in it for them should be a thing that, and, and that's when anybody picks up an investment. You buy ABC stock. Where did you get your information from? If it's I heard it at coffee shop, well, think about where you're getting your information from. If you're getting it from a meme or a social media, you know, you're 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 going through your feed and oh, mm-hmm. that's a good stock to buy. TikTok is now giving a lot of uh, uh, stock picks out there. Real? You know, people who've never even seen a recession in their life are giving out stock picks on TikTok. And you're going to go, that's the person I'm going to believe and in, invest my, my money with. While they dance. While they dance, yeah. That's, <laughs> usually I'm the one that's dancing on that. <laughs> or you buy a newsletter, Rob, and you go and you know what the benefit or what's the incentive for that newsletter. Nowhere have I heard in the play area where people are doing a financial analysis of the company. Yep, yeah. I want to buy ABC Stock Faisal in my Play account. What do you think? I go, what's, what's the company about? Well, I don't know. What's the financial? What's their EBITDA? Well, how much multiple are you paying? What's their debt-to-equity ratio? I don't know. They're whim picks.
4: They're whim picks. Yeah.
1: So play money is whim. It's casino. Unless you want to make it into an art form. And then when you pick out a piece of artwork as your, with your Play money... You're going to spend a lot more time figuring out which piece of artwork than you are going to pick a stock. You bet. It's very interesting. And so the advice that we would give for people who have play money is, is this literally play money that you can lose at all? If the answer is yes, go at it. If the answer is no, we cannot lose it all, then there has to be some, some sort of research behind it, and that's important. Don't you think? 100%. Now, there's research, there's data, there's a proven way of success to bulletproof your retirement. And I think what we need to do and our part of our responsibility to the public is to educate them and inform them on how to bulletproof your retirement. So we have an upcoming seminar. This will be Tuesday, April 26th at 7
4: p.m. live online. Go to morethanmoneyradio.com to register.
1: I want to thank you for joining us on another show of More Than Money on 770 CHQR from Rob and Faisal. Have a great weekend.